Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. So hello and welcome to another podcast from Disruptive HR, where we talk to people who are in the HR profession, around the HR profession, but what they all have in common is that they are doing things just a little bit differently. And today is someone that I actually feel like I've become quite good friends with during lockdown. We kind of didn't know each other before lockdown, but we've had numerous Zoom calls over over the last 18 months. And um, I just can't wait to get to meet you in person. So, um, and this person is uh, Imola Richards. And Imola, you're the Global Program Manager for the HR Leadership Program at GE. Yeah, is that correct. right? Hello, Lucy. Hello. Hi. Is, yeah, that is right. That's my that's my current role. Uh, well, just just kind of give us a bit of an insight. What does that actually mean? So you imagine this program as almost I like to look at this as a lab, as a bit of uh, you know a space where we are developing the future generation of HR leaders for GE, and obviously for the world really, because um, some may stay with GE, some may may not in the long term. Um, but really, it's a rotational program uh, where we take, uh, you know, junior HR professionals. Some come from university in some countries, some have a few years experience, and they rotate through uh, three-month, eight-month rotations, three times eight-month rotations uh, with us. They see various fields of HR, and they also undergo some training, some networking, some development, some coaching, etc. So all sorts of exposures they will have. Um, to kind of turn them into uh, leaders and then from then build their careers in the various businesses of GE. Now, obviously, GE kind of 80s, 90s was seen as an organization that was really quite radical, wasn't it? It was doing, you know, some very different things and it was at the forefront of some, uh, some interesting practices, some great practices, perhaps some kind of slightly some practices that we look at now and go, mm, I'm not sure we'd be doing that now, but um, but it was definitely out there. It was definitely seen as as being pioneering in many ways. What I suppose we might think of GE now is is perhaps it's you know it's a it's a very big big corporate animal, and perhaps not as as radical as as it might have been in the 80s and 90s. But the reason that we're talking is because you are actually doing some very interesting and different things within this HR leadership program. So what I'd love to do is to get your take on the new skills, capabilities, mindsets that, that you're trying to instill or encourage your HR leaders to embrace. Yeah, no, and what a subject. So thank you for having me, first of all, Lucy. I'm, I'm uh, pleased to talk about this and hopefully have people comment or reach out and really just continue or, or start a conversation about this. I think we need quite a lot of that. I think, you know, at GE, certainly the world was a different place in the 70s, 80s, 90s, right? So I think our practices were certainly forward-looking, cutting edge for 
those days, and probably they had a place, you know, in the world at that time. Um, and G has changed a lot over the years, right? We are so much more nimble organization. Uh, we have fewer businesses. We are very focused with our strategy, how we want to impact the world and kind of um, build a world that works. Um, um, much smaller as well. Um, and, you know, I think is much more human um, that is very important to me. So, so I think um, the size, the change, some of the experiences over the past few years have taught us some lessons that we had to take on board. We were forced to take on board in some cases. Yeah. And I think where we are and there, the when I think about how we develop our HR leaders is there is still, I think, a world whereby there is the reality of, you know, manufacturing, the industry, the energy transition strategy, where we are obviously not just there yet in the world. Um, and there is also the keeping an eye on what's coming, what's around the corner, what did COVID kind of, you know, and how did COVID impact us? And how do we need to react to that? So I guess when I'm thinking about how we grow and challenge our future HR leaders, it has to be a combination of what you need today, what's practical, what gives you toolkit that you become a stronger HR leader immediately. And like, you know, through Olympics fashion, you know, uh, these days you build muscles for the future because this doesn't happen that you will be a digital HR leader by fortnight, right? You <laughs> build the muscles, you will run the marathon in a few years but you yeah. need to start building skills, capabilities, mindset to be ready. So I think it's that combination, how, how I look at their, uh, their growth and how, how I uh, designed the learning on the program. I like that. So you're basically saying, you know, it's not all forward thinking and out there and pioneering because, as you say, in the end, after the, the program's over, they still have to operate in a manufacturing environment with leaders that may be a little bit, further back than where that program has taken them. And so they've still got to be relevant and impactful, but equally you're wanting them to, to kind of, you know, as you say, build muscles for the future and use the word digital in there. Um, so in terms of the kind of the program, and obviously I, I don't want you to give too much away because it's a competitive advantage for you, but give us just some of the areas or of the curriculum, if you like, that you think are perhaps a little bit different to perhaps um, the more traditional HR development program. Yeah. So how you imagine a program, the two years is obviously a journey they are on. And how we look at that is majority of this journey is very hands-on experience. That's how you develop best, right? You know, the 70, 20, 10 kind of yeah. you know, split. I think we go with that. So what they do on a daily basis, they are doing an HR role. So three times for eight months, they will be an HR leader of a manufacturing site or a remote sales function or a compensation and benefit analyst. So obviously just day to day um, by being managed and coached and developed and we give them a lot of exposure. We have like an experience map for them. Um, so kind of, you know, what do you need to get an insight to so you build your toolkit? And we obviously train them on what is basic for HR, right? We train them on data analytics and coaching and, you know, investigation skills and interviewing skills and you name it. Yet there are certain 
skills and competencies that I think are very important for a future leader in general, and then future HR leader as well. So if you think about skills like virtual facilitation, or if you think about responsive leadership, right? Social impact, sustainability, what do you do on that field? Or capabilities of how do you do interactive engagement? How do you do branding? How do you support scaling digitally? How do you are cap- how are you capable of connecting time zones on an efficient way? So these are all skills and capabilities that we try to bake into the program, sometimes on a visible way and pointing out that this is very conscious, and sometimes by you know bringing in tools, forcing them to use certain platforms, training them on something you know that is basic but on a different way. Right. So there is on one hand, there is skills that is different, is not the classic, if you would call it, you know, for HR training. And on the other hand, for me, it's very important that you do the what, and that's defined sometimes by our environment, by the industry, what we are doing in the function. But the how, then the methods of that can also, I mean, really, the sky is the limit with creativity, right? So just to give you a few examples, like when we train data analytics, Yes, there is some more um, traditional, if you like, even though I don't think it's traditional, uh, you know, the, the training we give to them, very great, you know, journey for a few months to kind of get their head around data analytics. But we also partnered with a Dutch startup uh, to do a virtual escape room uh, where they use data analytics to break out of the rooms virtually, right? Or um, we did some coaching training and team building most recently, obviously, we couldn't travel, couldn't be together. So we did that in VR. So we sent VR headsets, you know, to the program members, and they could be on a terrace with Dubai or Czech Republic or a mountain in the background and have a chat when they had to discuss, you know, their coaching sessions or they were doing, uh, you know, treasure hunt or kind of jumping on pyramids when they were doing team building. And, you know, they just felt that closeness almost in the space as they were talking to each other about something that is very human. It really normally let's, needs, you know, let's contact. Pick up on that, because I, I think that this is a really fascinating, fascinating area for people who were in learning and development, because obviously they had to pivot, right? So COVID hit and suddenly those beautifully archi- um, structured, uh, graduate programs, leadership programs, where everybody came together and you had all everybody flying in and you were with each other for two weeks or three months or whatever it might be. And it was all fantastic and hugely expensive and hugely time consuming. And then, of course, you all had you know, anyone in L&D had to pivot immediately. Um, where do you think it's going to go? Because you mentioned virtual facilitation. I think that uh, Certainly in disruptive HR, we've got better at that. I think to begin with, we we ran those virtual events um, that we were putting on quite like we would have run a face-to-face event. So you put a question out there in a room and say, what do people think? And you make eye contact with people and they put their hand up or whatever. Whereas we were doing it virtually and there was just silence, you know. So we've had to learn again how to facilitate in a very, very different way. And I think we're a lot better now um, using chat function, using breakouts, all of those kind of things. 
but you've taken it on another level. You know, you're talking about virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, where do you think you'll, when you think forward, are you going to kind of go back to the three weeks in a, in a, in your learning resource in Chicago, or are you going to do it half and half, or are you going to stay virtual? How will, mm. how will you, how will you approach it? Well, I think, and on a way, I hope it's going to go hybrid this one as well. And, you know, people who know me, Lucy, is like in 2019, we were organizing virtual seminars or summits. And I wasn't very popular with that because obviously what we've done um, early 2019, we brought a team to Shanghai and there was a very different experience for them to connect with each other. And don't get me wrong, nothing replaces that. So we have research, we have companies who've shared that, you know, when you do segmented talent development, um, you need to think about the network they will form as leaders because that will make them a more efficient and more successful leaders in the future. So investing in networking, investing in team building, investing in making them friends between each other, yeah. that actually will have a business impact. Your ROI is going to be measurable. And we see examples where companies took that totally away and they realized that their leadership program members or the talent pool wasn't as success, uh, successful because they didn't have the network to rely on to be successful as leadership, yeah. right? So I'm not ever going to say that, listen, I think we should just scrap this human meeting thing because, you know, it's just too expensive. No, 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 no. Yet what I'm saying is, you know, when you go to a session, there is a webinar, there have been plenty of that the past couple of years, and it's about digital facilitation. And you go there and you see the PPT charts about how you use the chat box and how you bring people in every third minute or how a session should last 20 minutes because that's the maximum capability of a human being to pay attention to a topic. It doesn't work, right? You are not doing what you're preaching, right? And it's shocking to me still when I go to these webinars, how classic that is, right? Like how really you just sit there and you just get a, you know, listen to people almost obviously we do that with the podcast as well yeah you know when you really train them on something it's a skill that they need to pick up something that doesn't serve them well and build a new habit or a new skill then you have to think massively right so i do think it's going to be hybrid i think there is a space for meeting in person i think we very carefully need to think about what are the things what are the skills what are the important criteria for being in person? What do you get done then? And what is what you actually can do in the virtual space? And I always have been convinced, I call myself a virtual pro because I think you can do so much in the virtual space. But I also do say that virtual is double work because for virtual, oh, you, curate, you curate, you curate, you curate. You know, when you are in person, you have the whiteboard, there's a team around you, and you see people, you read the body language, yeah. you see how they are throwing that, you know, you see everything, you can react to it, you can put them on the side and say, oh, I noticed this. There is chat in the void, right? You have to think through for virtual, how that happens in the virtual space, yeah. right? So when I'm saying team building in VR, you know what? 
it felt actually interestingly good to walk down with somebody on a VR bridge and look at this river and walk over to the team building site where there was an open fire and I have a chat in the meantime. And she was next to me and I felt weird when I went too close or I felt like I almost stepped on her foot and you feel like apologizing for that. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Your brain does very funny things to you. So I think I, I really hope that people will embrace this and get into this space and experience it. Yes, yeah. the VR headset sometimes is heavy. Yes, some people get a headache from it. Yes, sometimes there is that problem, right? Because your Wi-Fi doesn't work at home. It's all there. Yet I think these experiences and understanding how humans work and what is really important and what are really the connections that work in the human space and you can tap into, I think that's going to be super important. So HR will have a role in this because I think the curation and the design of learning experiences will broaden out beyond the, what do you need for this skill development? What is the methodology, how you design a learning experience into the human beings who participate there? Yeah. We used to think about, do they have enough break? Do they have food? What are the facilities? Is there air conditioning? Is there toilets, et cetera? Now you also have to take this to a further level and just think, how do I create a space when they just casually talk to each other? How do I make sure that I check in with them individually? How do we make sure that we embrace the feelings in the virtual space? Right. Fascinating. So I think think, think that's very interesting. Yeah. I think it's a huge topic and I think it's, it's not enough just to say, oh, good, we can all meet in person again and we'll get rid of all that Zoom stuff because we're all tired of it. And we are tired of it because when we are limited to one form and with that has the monopoly in our life, then, of course, it gets boring and it gets old and it gets tiring. We want that blend. Um, but you're absolutely right. This is not about just kind of saying, right, well, let's just carry on Zooming every now and again. We can do so much more with it. And I'd love to see HR really driving and leading that. Um, I think that could be so exciting. Um, Now, I I just want to kind of just check in finally with you about something that just fascinates me because, you know, you work in a very, very large organization. I appreciate smaller than it was in the 80s, but nonetheless, a large organization. And you are, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you you were thinking about virtual in 2019 and pushing for that and trying to kind of do things differently. And where does this, and I just want to also say that, you know, one of the things that was always impressed me about you is your curiosity, your challenger brand, if you like, that you do question and say, could this be different? How could it be different? What might work? not just for the hell of it, but for, for improving things and always alert to that. So where, why do us get hiring in a big organization if, like every other organization I've worked in and worked with, the, the reaction's a bit kind of like, yeah, but we've always done it like this, so we'll just carry on. Um, where, did this, where do you get this challenger nature from and how do you keep it fresh? Because I know with a lot of HR people in our network, they get tired of trying to encourage leaders and employees and their own teams to change. How do you keep that fresh? 
Mm. Well, that's such a good question. And um, it's interesting because I remember my very first manager at GE, actually, who is still a mentor of mine and we sometimes connect. She always, always used to say, and that was one of my very early lessons, that Imola, choose your bottles. You can't fill every bottle. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you have this imprinted curiosity or you have ideas and you think you're running into walls, I think it's something you you want to pursue, but don't think out of the box even for that, because I'm pretty sure in every organization there is some opportunity for creativity. You just have to find the which battle, which field, where is that corner when you can do that? Yeah. So I think, Lucy, to be honest, I think I was born rebellious. That's what my <laughs> husband keeps telling me, at least. So I don't think, I think you have to have a dose in your DNA. So I don't know whether that's doable or not. So it's just, you just have to be born difficult, I think. <laughs> you know, I was born as a child. Difficult. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And then I think life forms you. So um, you know some of this about me, but, you know, I was born as a minority in Transylvania to a Hungarian family. I played chess semi-professionally for 25 years. So being a woman, you know, in chess, it, you know, it was a minority situation. So the Queen's Gambit was written about you, basically. Oh, uh, well, I don't know about the green <laughs> green little pills, but, you know. <laughs> Maybe yeah, I'm, sorry, I didn't you know, mean that bit, yeah. I, I, know, uh, I know sometimes I come across that <laughs> or something, but, you know. Um, but um, um, what I was going to say, then could have, you know, move to UK and be a UK HR leader without background in UK, closing sites, for instance, right? Being Eastern European or living as an Eastern European in England of Brexit or, you know, a UK of Brexit. So there are certain things in your life that shape you, right? Shape you into this um, representing the non-obvious, right? You just take that with yourself. And then there is the career, the professional aspect of it. And I need, I need to give credit to GE and the leaders and my mentors and coaches here because I think the, the, just the sheer environment, the coaching, the mentoring, the insights, the sheer feedback you get. And, you know, I think something has not changed about GE over the years, and that's the total commitment to the human development and the growth mindset about you can improve this, you can do this better. You can innovate. That's a GE DNA. Once you work in an atmosphere like that, that makes you very self-conscious. They give you a lot of feedback, right? You work on yourself and that works on your listening skills. That works on welcoming criticism, right? And even if it hurts, you have this sensitivity that you develop something that you just do not like what doesn't work. And you have this passion for how can you build better behaviors? How can you improve things? How um, you find processes, tools, practices that just don't serve us well, right? You know, this listening for it. We don't like what doesn't work. I just think that's so simple. And actually, we could be applying that to HR. Because rather than trying to continue to push processes that don't work, why don't we just say we don't like what doesn't work and we're going to make it better? We're going to do something different. And, and it's such a simple a concept, but it's brilliant. But that's a no-brainer. I, I talked to somebody recently about this, Lucy, that how do you how do how does HR gonna break the barriers down going forward after COVID? 
how about we just go back to the absolute basics? How about when somebody's contract says that you work 37 and a half hours a week, you don't work 50? But we HR push the envelope for, there is a reason why that was established. Or how about we say you don't work during your holiday and that becomes the norm. How about we don't, and I think there was an article over the weekend about this, the, how about we don't just make it fancy that somebody can push eight, 10 hours work, being with the family, doing sport, eating healthy, uh, you know, in however many hours a day. How about we say we need to work less and we just need to take the time for us human beings to be creative, to connect, to understand each other, to spend time with who we love so we are more fulfilled and healthy. And that's bang on well-being for people, right? Yeah. I love that in HR, and you listen to this, right? What do you do for the well-being, right? You tell people that they can go for a walk while on call. Well, how about we don't organize calls in lunch break? Yeah. And they just do whatever they want, right? <laughs> so some of the most vile things, if you look around these days, right? Iceland, um, you know, going with a four-day work week. Yeah, to me, that is not, on a way, is not very incredibly creative. That is just listening to what our need is and doing that. So yeah. reconnecting with what humans need. And, you know, to me, that's in the virtual space. That's why I'm so obsessed about this. Because, you know, the good old-fashioned, like, executive presence, right? That you are there and people will follow you and you inspire people. That to me really is the virtual human. Because the moment you find that human connection, it doesn't matter where you are. Right? Yeah. You and me, we never we never met before. I don't feel like our conversations are lacking the personal meeting, right. to be honest. Right. Um, sometimes when you go to a meeting and you sit there for two hours at the workout, your best idea is not during that meeting. But when you are under the shower at home or... Yeah, do you know, it's really you know, interesting that because um, there's an article been out recently. Um, I think it might have been Atlassian did some research and they were saying, you know, it's this complete <clears throat> myth that we have to get back into the workplace for creativity and collaboration. That actually our best, our, our innovation does not happen around the water cooler or in a workshop with flip charts. I mean, how many times have we done that for HR people where we've made them go into a breakout room and you've got 15 minutes to come up with a genius idea that's going to transform performance management or whatever? That's not how it happens. That's not how we come up with ideas. Anyway, look, I'm conscious of time. Um, and... Um, Maybe just, just to add to that, Lucy, that's actually, you know, when I mentioned some of the examples earlier, that's actually my experience as well with how you tap into that human um, in the virtual space through learning. That's where you also make a difference, right? So if you train finance in a simulation, when we prepared people on text learning, when we welcome them on an interactive platform where they could use their welcome gift to contribute to charity, um, when we build the pipeline building by creating a free internship that everybody around the world can take, when we try to engage people and build that connection by gamifying the experience for them, you tease the human out of them. So interestingly, 
it works better, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing, like you need to go back to the office to sustain the culture. I don't think so, actually. No, I agree. It's bad for your culture if you need to be in the office for that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you need to find the yeah. way. What is that culture? And curate, curate, curate that in the virtual yeah. space so it works. Absolutely. So loads to do there, and it's fascinating. And it's it is fascinating. Well. It's a great time to be in HR, I think. A great time. It is. Imola, oh, as ever, it's been an absolute joy. You're fascinating, insightful, intelligent. You always make me think. And you challenge, you know, as you've been talking, I'm thinking, yeah, I should really have a look at that. So you make me a better challenger as well. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Very good. You're very kind. Thanks very much. I hope uh, hope um, this was useful to somebody. And let's continue this, Lucy. It's very interesting work. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club.